Today's sermon is selfish versus soul-filled. This is the title of today's sermon. It is also uh, the introductory and overriding title of our new sermon series that we will be pursuing over the next several Sundays as we look at issues like romance and sex, marriage, parent-child relationships, friendship relationships, work, rest. In other words, basically the whole gamut of who we are and how we live as human beings uh, with the overriding message, the tension and the invitation to come with Jesus of selfish versus soul-filled. Because you're going to get the message over and over again that when we talk about our romantic relationships, when we talk about our marriages, when we talk about our friendships, when we talk about all kinds of family relationships, work relationships, the basic dichotomy and the basic tension is selfish versus soul-filled. And which direction will you go in your life, in your relationship? So we'll begin to apply this, but today we're going to be turning to uh, two principal scriptures and then uh, applying them and looking at them as we introduce selfish versus soul-filled. We'll uh, begin by turning to Psalm 49, reading verse 7 through verse 12. I'll read through 13 uh, today. And then also we'll be turning to Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. Hear now God's word. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul, I'm reading from the New American Standard here because the New American Standard is translating nefesh there correctly, soul. The redemption for his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and the senseless alike perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever. I'm going to live forever. This stuff is mine forever. And their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. They even are foolish enough to name places after themselves like they're going to live on. <laughs> but man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and those after them who approve their words, Selah. And then to Matthew's gospel, Jesus continues speaking to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, picking up at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return, in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Kamath Palihapia said it very bluntly in that podcast that went viral and got a lot of attention a couple weeks ago. Let's be honest, said the billionaire venture capitalist, CEO of Social Capital, former in his late 20s and early 30s, senior executive of Facebook, and co-owner of the Golden State Warriors of the National Basketball Association. Let's be honest, nobody cares what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? Nobody cares. Who cares if a couple million uh, ethnic minority people, uh, most of whom, by the way, happen to be Muslim, are being oppressed, uh, rounded up in concentration camps effectively, uh, re-educated by the People's Republic of China, abused in various ways, and then they trot out one Uyghur to be in the Olympics and as a cross-country skier and say, hey, we're good with the Uyghurs. And so Kamath is sitting there saying, let's be honest, none of us care. It shouldn't affect what Disney's doing and what social media giants are doing in the People's Republic of China, and nobody in America cares as long as they're fed and we continue to feed them our social media entertainment and everything. Nobody cares about these folks who are being abused. That's his quote. Let's be honest, nobody cares what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? Let me give you another quote. This is not from a billionaire. This is pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum. This guy, let me introduce you to him, never owned a home, his own donkey or mule. They even had to borrow a donkey for him when he rode into Jerusalem. Said he never, he didn't have a house to lay his head and didn't have a place to lay his head. Uh, owned nothing, didn't have a summer home, didn't have a lake house. An itinerant rabbi who also happened to be the son of God. Here's what he says. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Kamath was in the news over the last couple of weeks. Also in the news over the last uh, couple of weeks, Wilbert Mora, a 27-year-old police officer in New York City, immigrant from the Dominican Republic, who gave his life serving in the police force about a week and a half ago, uh, went to answer a domestic violence uh, call in Harlem and was shot by a woman's son. He and one of his partners both killed at the service at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, there were all kind of accolades for Wilbert Mora. He, w he wasn't a billionaire. At the age of 27, he wasn't a rising senior executive at Facebook. He gave his life as a New York City cop. New York City Mayor Eric Adams said that Wilbert wanted to be a police officer his whole life. He achieved his dream, and his work allowed many other people to achieve their dreams. 
And the mayor said to his family and friends and brothers in the blue, your loss is our loss. Your loss is our loss. Um, even as he died, Mara saved further lives. He donated his kidneys, pancreas, liver, his heart, etc., with various organ donations. Five lives were saved even as he died. Who are you and where are you? Selfish or soul-filled? Selfish or soul-filled? Bible 101, Humanity 101, let's remind ourselves briefly that you are a soul and you have a soul. Um, Genesis 2, 7, God breathes his spirit in us and he creates us. He creates man, Adam, a living, and yes, the Hebrew there is correct uh, with the King James, living soul. You are a soul. And you have a soul. Biblical academics argue back and forth about, well, well, we are souls, so we can't have a soul, but we have a soul because we're told in the scripture we have to keep a soul, so it's both. You are a soul and you have a soul for which you are accountable to God. You relate to God as a soul through your soul. That Hebrew term means open throat. That's really what it means. When the Psalms talk about Joseph being carried down to um, Egypt in slavery, sold into slavery, it says they put a, a, a collar and a chain around his nephesh, his neck, throat, really his soul. And that's who we are, sold into sin. But, but you relate to God as a soul. You are to be open to God as a soul. Maybe I'll come back with this picture later, but when, uh, when we were in Migdol, which is right above the Sea of Galilee, right over the ancient site of Magdala in, um, in Galilee, Nancy bought a little piece of art with its, its, its uh, little birds all with their mouths open waiting to be fed by a mama bird. And that's who we're supposed to be with God. Our mouths open, waiting to be filled and refilled by his Holy Spirit, by his breath of life, and by the living water that he gives. That's, that's who you are. That's how you're made to be. That's how I'm made to be. That's who we are as human beings. And so, the scripture says, for instance, at the core of the Old Testament, the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, can anybody fill in the blank? Soul and with all your strength. You and your relationship with God are about being soul. And we're called to keep our soul intact in relationship to God. Always be open, like every day. 
think of yourself as one of those little baby birds opening yourself to God. Or another metaphor in the scripture, of course, sheep who are fed by the shepherd. The state of your soul, your true spiritual self, is infinitely more important than your temporary life or temporary belongings or temporary interests or, frankly, temporary friendships. Nothing holds a candle to the way you are supposed to relate to God and the way you are made to relate to God. But this is who I am. This is my identity. This is how people think of me. Give it all up if it gets in the way of being open to God. This is what the scripture is saying. And ultimately, of course, I'll just give you from Ecclesiastes, this is in Job and elsewhere in the scripture in the Old Testament. As a man came from his mother's womb, so he will depart again. Naked we come into this world, naked we leave it. You ain't taking nothing with you, baby. Nothing. So, Jesus takes his disciples in the development of their discipleship and his mission and ministry uh, to the next stage. He, he, he takes them to a Gentile country and to what, what in effect is at the crossroads of international world. He goes up to Golan, he goes up to Caesarea Philippi. He's not, in, he's not out down in around the Sea of Galilee anymore. He's gone up to the district of Caesarea Philippi. This is pagan country. This is, this is Gentile country that's dedicated to Caesar and to Alexander's daddy Philip. Okay, this is pagan country with a lot of shrines and temples and other religions all around. And it's there that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They start giving the answers. You may remember this story if you know your New Testament. You know, some say Elijah, some say... And Jesus says, well, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, this didn't come out of your flesh, or by the way, out of your selfish leaning side. What you just said, the testimony, the profession you just made was given to you by my father. And then Jesus starts talking about the reality. Um, we're not gonna unpack this whole segment very deeply, but let me just tell you what, what, what is going on here is Jesus says, okay, you understand the semantics of my identity. Now let me tell you what my identity means. I am the Messiah, and it's not going to be like the Rose Parade in California, okay? That's not what that means. I don't get to ride in on the great white horse and everybody cheers me. Let me tell you what it means for me to be the Messiah. I have four assignments as part of a greater assignment. I must go to Jerusalem. I must be rejected and opposed by the chief priests, elders, and scribes. That's number two. Number three, I must die. I must be turned over for death. I must be crucified. And number four, rise again on the third day. Simon Peter is appalled. You're the Messiah? What are you? <laughs> this, this, this does not connect. 
And Simon Peter pulls Jesus aside, violently pulls him aside and says, no, I got to get your head on straight. This is not going to. And Jesus turns around and rebukes Simon Peter and says, look, do you not understand? This is who the Messiah is in the scripture. If you understand the scripture and everything, including, by the way, what we in First Presbyterian Church just studied in the book of Isaiah, you have to understand that the Messiah is also the suffering servant, is also the kinsman redeemer who lays down his life, everything. And if you're going to believe in me and follow me, you have to go the same way, the way of the cross. You cannot be selfish. You have to give yourself up and be soul-filled. So that's the background of what Jesus is saying here. And this is a turning point. After these things, Jesus... So you have the turning point in chapter 4 of Matthew after John the Baptist is arrested. After this, Jesus starts preaching about the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Okay, that's Matthew four seventeen. Now we've got... He's going to teach all the way to the cross this message. So if he's going to be rejected, even he... Even the Son of God is going to be rejected. Guess what it means for you, Christian? You're going to be rejected too by going with them. All your friends are not necessarily going to be all your friends on the other side of this move. You're not going to be popular with everyone. Not everybody on social media is going to like you when you say something about Jesus, when you say something serious about your faith. It's not going to work that way. It's the other way. And so Jesus calls us to follow the gospel which is through the cross. The gospel call, it's the way for every Christian. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. Now notice Jesus not say, well, y'all all need to come after me and it's going to be nice and easy for most of you, but a couple people are going to have to be martyrs. That's not what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. As Bonhoeffer puts it, Will and I just talked about this on Friday. When Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids him come and die. And that's a woman too now, anybody, girl, boy, whoever. If he's calling you to follow him, he's calling you to die to yourself. As Paul says, we looked at this last Sunday, Galatians Chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. You want to talk about soul-filled, gave himself for me. So this is the call. Verse 25, the supreme paradox of wisdom and grace. You can contemplate this and live this out the rest of your life. You want a challenge? You want something deep and something beautiful? Listen to this. Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you're trying to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to let it go, it'll be given unto you. You know this is the way it is in love, right? If you're trying to protect yourself, you're trying to hang on to stuff, love's not gonna work, right? Love is about giving yourself away. But let me tell you this also. I don't wanna overwhelm you with the words here, but it is really important here. You have to understand that in, in the Greek, uh, tsuke, 
it means self, life, or soul. All three of those. And so there's a double or triple entendre thing going on here in that passage. You're trying to save yourself. You're trying to save your life. You're trying to save your soul. You're going to lose it. So this is who I am. This is my identity. This is, this, is what, this, this is how I live. No, no, no. Jesus says, let it go. Get off of this side. Move to me. Selfish versus soul-filled. Earl Ellis, an old Bible teacher, put it well. A person must become apostate from his egocentric self. I've got it, that one in the notes for you there. A person must become apostate from his egocentric self. That's the way Ellis sums up this entire passage we're looking at right here. C.S. Lewis beautifully tells us this. I'm going to read this to you because this is so good. This summarizes what we're reading here from the scripture. And ultimately, I want you to hear this. Whatever in you does not die cannot be raised from the dead. Let me repeat that. If there's anything in you that has not died in Christ, it will not be raised from the dead. And if you haven't died in Christ, you will not be raised from the dead. Lewis says this, but there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to him for the sake of that. In other words, what you think is your personality. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you're not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self, it's Christ and it's also yours, yours because it's his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him. Okay, again, this is the way, we'll, we'll apply this in the next couple of weeks with love, but I mean, this is the way love works too, right? It will not come when you're looking for yourself. It will come when you're looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle, Lewis continues, this is in Mere Christianity, holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making on other people. Even in literature and art, and this is Lewis's bailiwick, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring how it has been told before, you will nine times out of 10 become original without ever having noticed it. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes, and every day the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life in him. Keep back nothing. Nothing you have not given away will ever really be yours. Let me repeat that. Nothing you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else.
So then the ultimate questions that Jesus lays before us there too, and they go together. Um, ignore them at your peril, but focus on them and live in him. These are the supreme, present, and eternal questions that flow out of that paradox we just looked at. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Okay, it's tsuke. Now, now it's being translated as soul. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The whole world. There are billionaires in our world, but there's only one person who was ever offered really the whole world. I mean, Satan doesn't have to give much to get most of us as prostitutes, right? To sell our souls. There's one, there's one person who walked on the earth that was actually offered the whole world, all the wealth of the world, all the power of the world, all the pizzazz of the world. And that was Jesus. Satan says, it's all mine to give. Just worship me. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. May that be your response when Satan offers you and me little tidbits, because he doesn't have to give us the whole world. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? As Psalm 49 already told us, you cannot ransom your own soul, and you can't do it for your brother. Your wealth is fleeting, and it has no power over what we're talking about right now. And so then the judgment. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Is this salvation by works? No, because you understand now where this verse is happening. It's in the context we've been talking about. What you have done principally, centrally, spiritually in the selfish versus turning to Jesus and being soul-filled. And then, yeah, you will have a lot of actions that flow out of that, but it all comes from yielding to him. Repay each person according to what he has done. Selfish or soul-filled? That's the call. Proverbs 27.7 says that a satisfied soul loathes, even literally tramples upon the honeycomb because the satisfied soul is full. Do not, I know it's easy and it's tempting, if you fill your life and your soul with junk food, you're going to spurn the honey of God. You're even going to trample on God's honey because you don't have time for God, whether it's Sunday morning or any other time of the week. I'm full. I got too much going on, baby. A satisfied soul loathes, tramples on the honeycomb, but may it not be with you. As Jesus says in Revelation 3.17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So, what's our invitation? Move from here to him and be soul-filled. Let me give you some soul-filled verses. Psalm 42.1, As a deer pants 
for flowing streams. So my soul, my open throat, fill it, Lord, with your living water. Pants for you, O oh my God. Psalm 62, 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. Take quiet time. Be still. Turn off all the noise, all the, all the devices, and wait for the Lord that your soul may be filled by him. My soul waits in silence. Psalm 63, 1. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh thanks for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. My soul longs, Psalm 84, 2. Yes, thanks for the courts of the Lord. And this is the psalm where, one of these psalms where it says, it's better, better one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Be in worship, be in church fellowship, be filled as a soul in the fellowship of the Lord's house. And then also Psalm 119, verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. This is the food. Be fed soul in the food. But I, I don't have time and it's, it's kind of hard to concentrate and I'm, I'm really like interested by other stuff and all this news and all this stuff that I get all mad about. Soul, don't be lost. Come to the word, come to the worship, come to the time with the Lord daily. And so Isaiah 58, 11 promises us and promises God's people that even when the land is desolate and everything is dry, your soul will be a garden because God will feed you. Isn't that awesome? Trust in him. Of course, most famous of all the soul passages, I think when I'm just scanning through the Old Testament is the one you all know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down beside green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Is your throat opened up yet? He restores my soul. Open up. Open up, sheep. Open up, soul, and live in him. Now and forever, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.